Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of our Servings Podcast, a podcast dedicated specifically and entirely to the school nutrition world. I am super excited to be able to introduce this next episode. We have two amazing and wonderful guests, uh, Dr. Lynette Dotson of the Georgia Department of Education, School Nutrition Director, as well as Mr. Will McHerter of the Dairy Alliance. Uh, many of you have interacted with uh, with Will personally. This podcast has so much wonderful information in there, so much insight, um, so much forward-looking uh, as we as we step into the next step of this pandemic and what this looks like. And while there's so much uncertainty, hopefully this episode will will bring some attention to some topics worth having further discussion on, right? So that being said, I want to lay out a few disclaimers. One, I am not an audio engineer. We, uh, it is not the highest sound quality, but we are practicing social distancing. So we did this over a conference call. Some of the audio sounds exactly like what you think uh, the audio from a conference call would sound like. That being said, I know it's a little rough the first 15, 20 seconds. It gets better, I promise. Actually, most of the podcast is uh, is pretty clean audio, except at the beginning and at the end. I wish I knew, I wish I knew why. Um, second, we had a little bit of a timing issue that, from my understanding, is just essentially uh, a, a hiccup in the internet connection um, that we were using with it too. Again, it is not it's not notable. You won't even notice it except at the end. I definitely do not cut off Dr. Dr. Dodson. It's just the timing got glitched. So again, I want to I want to lay that out there before I get any notes from anybody saying why how how could you cut off Dr. Dodson there? I promise you, I did not. Um, but with that being said, I am so excited for y'all to hear this. I think there's a lot of amazing information in here. Um, again, stay tuned until the end uh, where we have. Uh, I think I think maybe the the most important answer to to the questions that have been asked. But that being said, I'm really excited for this podcast. I'm really excited for y'all to hear it. And uh, without further ado, let's begin. Well, hello and welcome back to Servants, a podcast dedicated entirely and specifically to the school nutrition world. I'm very excited to introduce our two special guests. Uh, when I tried to envision the two best guests I could have on the podcast uh, to best guide the Georgia School Nutrition World through this scary season. The first two ni- names I came to, Patson, uh, excuse me, of the Georgia Department of Education and Mr. Will McCarter of the Dairy Alliance. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Dodson. Will. Thank you. Very start with, yes, great yeah, to be here. Have you and we're excited for the uh, wonderful and exciting information that's going to come out of our discussion. Um, let me start with, with this. So we're recording this episode on the heels of a quarantine Mother's Day. There's no live sports and almost complete uncertainty around what the school year is going to look like in Georgia. So that being said, the most important question on everybody's brain, first and foremost, are where you've been watching these days on Netflix. <laughs> that is an excellent question. <laughs> In my spare time, I've actually started a new program called Blacklist. It's pretty, it's a pretty good program. So I hadn't had time, though, up until lately to enjoy, actually, any Netflix. It was pretty busy up there in the beginning. Will, anything, uh, anything on your Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime or 
what other streaming services am I leaving on? No, I think you, I think you covered most of them there. Uh, we're kind of weird. We don't actually have most of those things. Uh, we do have Amazon Prime, though, and uh, we've watched a couple nature documentaries lately. But um, now we, we're not a, not big binge watchers unless it's college football. So obviously that's not going. Oh. Well. So. I'm right there with you, Will. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, before I start any any sort of college football rivalry, I'll move on. <laughs> um, Dr. Dotson, so I know there are more than a few directions this can go. Uh, from procurement challenges to the potential of non-congregate feeding and sort of everything in between. But from your vantage point, what do you see as the biggest challenge on the horizon for school nutrition program directors and their teams? Wow, that is a very loaded question, Corey. Um, when I think about that, first I want to acknowledge the amazing work that our local directors and programs have done to provide meals in their communities during the last couple of months that have been extremely challenging. I've shared on several platforms how impressive it is that they essentially adopted a whole new business model overnight um, to meet the needs of their community children. And we know today um, we have served over 18 and a half million meals in Georgia through their programs, which is just astounding. Um, and phenomenal. It's it's not what we typically serve through our traditional school model, but through this model, it is a remarkable accomplishment. Um, so, you know, they're truly heroes and their commitment and passion for providing nutritious meals to their community children is really something that needs to continue to be commended and celebrated. Um, with that said, you know, we're beginning to have discussions about what the next few months are going to look like, particularly related to moving it into what would have been a summer service model, which we actually, for those, it, it's kind of confusing, but we're, we've been serving under what's called a seamless summer option, which allowed the flexibility for our sites to open up and feed children 18 and under for free and no, no charge related to the meals. Um, and that was based on some free and reduced eligibility we walked through several, several waivers to give our districts flexibility with supply chain issues and things. So the challenges associated with the current um, dynamics with our our sheltering in place kind of transitioning out from that, concerns over whether or not uh, congregate feeding is really an option right now, and also knowing that we're going to shift from this model in considering, you know, what is our traditional summer meal service model to then starting school, knowing that that is a lot of changes um, to expect our local districts to manage. So one of the things that we're currently working on and hope to submit today actually um, are some waivers asking for extensions. Our current waivers are in effect till the end of June, June 30th. So in talking to a lot of our directors, they're very committed to what they're doing and want to continue to provide meals um, and the really agile module that they've adopted. But they have expressed concerns over going back to what would be our traditional summer model. So, and I totally appreciate and understand that. And so we have had a couple conversations with USDA about this. Um, I've also spoken to some other state agency directors. We're all pretty unified in the fact that we need this extension of flexibilities to continue through September. And the reason we, we've kind of said September 
that's even a scary date to consider is in talking to a lot of districts, even the start date of school is not a defined thing. So we've got districts considering starting earlier. Um, some even have discussed July, but August definitely is kind of what I've heard for the traditional school year, then even as delayed as October and possibly January. So I think we're definitely in a situation of transition in all aspects of our program. And so we're trying as a state agency to be very sensitive and supportive and figuring out what the local districts are going to make as far as their decisions moving ahead and how we can best support them resource-wise. Um, I know we've had conversations, too, with distributors. You know, that continues to be a challenge, obviously, to make sure that they're getting the items that they need. And some of it's even backing up to the manufacturing side of it. Obviously, because we've done so much grab-and-go packaged meals, uh, those items are not as readily available. So, um, you know, considering that, 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 that certainly is a challenge, too. And then you throw in there the whole dynamics of funding. So that, that might be a whole podcast in itself. Um, <laughs> but this has definitely presented some financial challenges for our local districts as well. But again, I think the, the thing that I guess I try to always look at the opportunities and the positive and the impact that our local school nutrition programs have had for our communities in Georgia has been significant. And um, I'm extremely proud of the leadership and impact that they've had. Well, I think it's uh, I think it's uh, very safe to say that the significant sort of pivot that happened um, first speaks to the leadership in every program, county, um, district across the state, across the state, excuse me. It's, um, it was no small change that happened across the board and to see how quickly it happened to see uh, with the efficiency of which it happened to see the sharing of information and best practices that's happened from my, from where I sit, it's been remarkable, um, incredible and really, really cool to see, uh, so many people come together with the purpose of making sure that children and, and their families and, and everyone within their community being taken care of. So it's, it's interesting to see kind of what's on what it's going to look like, the challenges. I know, you know, just a, a, how are the free and reduced numbers going to change and how is that going to differ? Mm -hmm. You know, the, sure. uh, the distribution uh, model, um, you know, how is it going to look if it's, you know, extended periods of this or compared to even non-congregate feeding? So it's, it's very interesting to see what other curveballs are going to get thrown at, uh, mm -hmm. at the leaders within the school nutrition world. Um, Will, I think it's fair to say that every one of our listeners has been positively affected by the support of the Dairy Alliance um, and, and the support that the Dairy Alliance shows school nutrition programs across the state. So that being said, how has the Dairy Alliance shifted its efforts and energies during this lockdown and, and quarantine to support Georgia school nutrition programs and the families they serve? Well, I'll, I'll start off by saying, uh, you know, hopefully we've had a positive impact on as many as we can. Obviously, in Georgia, we've got 159 counties and all sorts of school-based districts, too. But uh, to answer your question, yeah, uh, we've been able to provide some financial grant support for a number of districts to purchase emergency equipment to keep meals moving for kids while school is out. And we've been able to do this with 
a little over 35 districts here in Georgia in the past couple of weeks, um, as well as in our other states um, that we work with, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, Virginia, and the Carolinas, too. Uh, pretty much whatever these districts said they needed to make meal service happen, we were supportive. Uh, oftentimes, we were looking for districts that needed help safely holding cold milk or cold meals uh, for service on their mobile routes. And we found some uh, some fun and innovative ways to assist by doing that. Um, we had one district that simply needed a refrigerated truck rental. So we were able to help out with that. Um, but we've certainly had a handful of districts investing in some high-quality, sustainable pieces of equipment. Uh, the Metro Mighty Light Coolers, those have been popular lately, if I do say so myself. So those are those are near and dear to my heart. Right on, yeah. So CGA has definitely got a good thing going there. Um, <laughs> one other thing that we're we're going to do, um, you may know we're we're very data oriented. The Dairy Alliance is science based and data oriented as an organization. So we're likely not going to be collecting data, or we'll be doing so at a much simpler level on the grants that we awarded back in 2019. So. That would normally be happening this month, but we're, we're not 100% sure yet. Um, just, if anything, because we don't want to be a bother towards our districts during this time. You know, they obviously have bigger fish to fry right now. So, so yeah, those are some of the no. ways we've kind of been changing lately. No, it's been, uh, again, it's been really neat to see it from my perspective. I know we've been able to, to partner and work on a few things and helping some districts and, and some Again, I don't. I don't want to say. Uh, I don't want to give the wrong context here. But as we look at at folks who are trying to shift and, and shift in in a pretty big way, that um, it's really cool to see the Dairy Alliance step up, provide that funding, and um, see these directors and their teams kind of take some best practices from neighboring uh, neighboring counties and neighboring programs and kind of implement it and roll it into what they do. And so it's been really cool to see that sort of shift happen. Um, over the last few months. Um, Dr. Dotson, I'd like to kind of shift back to to the previous question a little bit as it relates to some of these newer... And again, I know I kind of uh, alluded to it as it relates to, um, you know, the the change in, you know, the, the way some of these school, some of the, the school nutrition programs operate. So I, I can't think of a, a better person to start that conversation with than, than yourself. So as it relates to the free and reduced numbers changing and the, how these shifts could affect school nutrition programs, and what do you see um, that having effect on, you know, as we hypothetically look at starting the school year in August or September? Yeah, that's an excellent question. We're, and actually, as we're preparing these um, requests to extend our waivers, we're looking at a lot of the economic factors that are occurring in our state right now. I know we have over 20% unemployment recorded, and I, I looked last night at a um, Department of Labor website that showed where in early March, I think it was $5.9 million of unemployment benefits were paid out, and then most recently it was like $176 million. So, you know, 300%, over 300% um, increase in that. So obviously that demonstrates a lot of what's happening economically around our state. Um, and then in conjunction with that, you know, we're seeing cost factors go up. 
Um, I heard this morning actually on the news, we've seen a 2.6% increase at the grocery store in the cost of food, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's actually a significant increase. And they said that it was, um, we hadn't seen an increase of that, you know, extent in over 50 years. So when you start seeing those kinds of shifts around um, food resources that, that definitely impact families' ability you know, to meet those needs, it, you know, it's bound to have an effect. We are in the process of getting PEBT, pandemic EBT benefits approved. It's a joint effort with Department of Health and Human Services and um, the Department of Education. And so knowing that, that, you know, none of these programs in and of themselves will totally solve, you know, the issue. But I think that's the nice thing about what we've got happening in Georgia um, even the partnership with the Dairy Alliance supporting our local districts. You know, now we, you know, we'll add PEBT to this. We'll continue to do our meal service. All these things really will help support our families that are, are challenged by the um, economic factors that have happened as a result of COVID-19. But I, you know, we do anticipate those free and reduced numbers increasing. We know from, we do like a monthly direct certification that's um, tied to TANF and SNAP benefits. And so we saw an increase in that in April and we know we'll see an increase in that in May. So that's something that we interface with that other state agency to make that an immediate um, identification for those children to be eligible. And of course, right now, like I said, all our sites are providing meals to the communities at no cost. But once school starts, those eligibility factors will come into play. So um, it it is definitely bound to see an increase in that at our local levels for sure. Well, it's um, I think it's one of of many significant challenges or, or changing a change to the landscape, and so kind of keeping with with these challenges on the horizon. Um, I think one that I am paying the most attention to, and I think will not require some serious discussion, but could also. I hope provide a silver lining for some programs across the state is a potential shift to non-congregate feeding. So I believe this kind of sort of seismic change to how our students are fed will be essential in managing social distancing amongst the students, especially as we look at the younger students and then in the middle school. Um, I also believe that breakfast and lunch in the classroom programs um, should see a dramatic change in support by the teachers and administration. And when we look at the numbers, where we have 20% of our teachers and 25% of our principals um, are in the at-risk age categories. I think it's breakfast and lunch in the classroom programs than we've ever seen before. So what do you see as the likelihood of this kind of change? And is this something you see as a worthy, do you see it as worth significant consideration amongst directors and, and programs across the state? Oh, absolutely. Well, of course, you know, first and foremost, I feel like school nutrition is such a unique opportunity to provide nutritious meals. And really, it combined well with nutrition education, which is another part of my passion, um, can really help educate and shape, you know, obviously the um, dynamics for health, I think, for our children and, and actually, I believe, our nation long term. So, you know, I've, I've been a strong advocate of that for a long time, understanding the opportunity that we have in school nutrition. Now you throw in, you know, this very unique dynamic around um, definitely a food insecurity 
increase and then also the challenges that we're going to see in education. Um, I think, you know, the, the piece that's probably not appreciated as well is that I think school nutrition leadership has been, particularly in Georgia, has been very strong and um, very capable of adapting through the years to a lot of challenges, increases in healthcare costs and, you know, some of those things that have happened prior to this situation. And now we see this, you know, I think it's probably the most um, dynamic, obviously, that we'll probably see, hopefully for a long time, um, impacting school nutrition and in a state and national level. I, I see it as a great opportunity for us, as you mentioned, you know, we've had discussions around breakfast in the classroom and even the importance of school breakfast and how that shapes the success of students. And, and we know the things that our local programs provide, even incorporating Georgia grown items and locally grown foods, fresh foods. Um, so, you know, trying to keep all of those things um, continuing while supporting, you know, probably what will be an increased need but with a very unique delivery model is going to be something that I, you know, I wish I had a crystal ball to say, oh, this is what we need to do X, Y, Z. And I've, I've been asked that actually several times by directors, like, what are you telling us to do? And I said, I really can't tell you what to do because your local district's going to decide, you know, what the landscape of their school year, you know, their school calendar is going to be and what their school days are going to be. But once those decisions are made, I think we've got, tremendous opportunity to look for how to continue to support children nutritionally um, in these dynamics. And I think truly school nutrition is a partner in education. It's something Superintendent Woods talks about a lot. And prior to COVID-19, and I think even more so through this situation, even our, our local meal programs providing meals have provided teachers and administrators the opportunity to visually see children, pass out curriculum, have some of those unique opportunities that had we not had that even during this period um, would have been a very big deficit in addition to the, the meal service piece of this. So I think that's given us an opportunity to raise maybe the awareness of the professionalism that our local programs have in their staff. Um, I think a lot of times people think, oh, it's just kind of like throwing dinner together at home. Um, it's, it's not that hard. But when you see behind the scenes, as I know, um, those of you that support our programs um, like you and Will see, certainly there is a lot to that business model um, that's very unique. And so I, I'm not surprised that our local directors are thinking through this collaboratively and coming up with great solutions moving ahead. And again, we'll, you know, we'll do that together. We'll do it in cooperation with making requests of USDA to help us continue to, to have the flexibilities that really are valuable, like the non-congregate meal service and those sorts of things. Um, we're going to have to be very strategic. It's a very important time to be thoughtful in how we take these next steps. Yeah, it's, um, School nutrition, and, and I, I know most of the folks who will hear this podcast and absolutely appreciate uh, what goes into, you know, feeding a school full of children. But when you look at it compared to, you know, we'll talk about our friends at, say, Chick-fil-A. I mean, there's there's no other restaurant uh, or or food service business in the world who's trying to feed 600 kids at a time in a 30-minute window and then 
do it again, and then do it again, and then do it yeah. again. So um, <laughs> it's quite impressive. And and again, I I don't I'll take a moment to brag on on the school nutrition professionals and the leadership in the in the state. But if there's any group of people who could who could shift and make these sort of pivots, uh, I feel very confident. In, um, in the leadership to be able to do so. And it, it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. And I think the one thing that we've learned, um, uh, I'll personally speak for myself, um, through this is there's no one correct answer, right? So it's all about what works right. best for your teams, how it fits into, into your program. Mm-hmm. I hope that as we kind of move into this, that there'll be that sharing of best practices that we've seen thus far. And uh, we'll, we'll see some some hybrid models and we'll see some things come out of it that, Again, are mm-hmm. are just wonderful, but I think seeing uh, and starting to have those conversations around what does non-congregate feeding look like? How will that affect numbers? I mean, what will breakfast mm-hmm. participation look like um, if if mm-hmm. that's an option? I, I have to imagine the silver lining again is we're going to see that participation go go up significantly, combined with the the food insecurities outside of the school, um, with the readily available or the the ease of having the access to to breakfast, and I think the, I think we can all agree that when our students are having breakfast, their the likelihood of success in the classroom goes up. So I think there's a silver lining there, and I, I really encourage um, folks around the state to to continue to look at that. Uh, well, so the Dairy Alliance has been a tremendous partner for school nutrition, and and again supported countless number of schools and programs, and securing equipment and tools and addressing food insecurities and, again, outside of just during this COVID season. So um, with some of these challenges facing school nutrition professionals, how do you see uh, the Dairy Alliance kind of stepping in and supporting with these changes, you know, specifically around non-congregate feeding and what that might look like? Yeah, well, I think that uh, flexibility will probably be the key word. Um, <laughs> as, we're, as we're kind of seeing a theme throughout this whole uh, <laughs> pandemic, if you will. But uh, yeah, as far as the Dairy or Dairy Alliance goes, uh, just our ability to adapt pretty quickly to changes to make sure that we're best serving the folks we, we work with and for. Um, ultimately, the Dairy Alliance does work for the dairy farmers, and we want to do what's best to represent their interests. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that was kind of refreshed in my mind during these past couple of tough weeks is that our farmers are part of their local communities that they live in, and they have similar issues to deal with and interests to pursue as anyone else else, you know, around them in their own communities. So while everyone is dealing with these changes, the farmers are certainly not immune to changes too. And like I said, flexibility is the name of the game in order to survive. So especially since uh, pretty much all the dairy farms in Georgia are, are relatively speaking small family-owned operations. So um, as school districts keep going with summer meals here pretty soon, you know, we have resources to support them in promoting their program. And uh, however, I mean, however districts get back to feeding students in the fall, uh, we'll be right there to support them however we can. We'll be patient with them, understanding of their challenges, and just see what we can do to, to assist. And I'm confident that, you know, all of our other partners and vendors and um, folks like that, they'll step up and be right there with us and um, do whatever we can to support the school districts and however which way they make it happen. Yeah. Well, that's been a really cool thing throughout this season is seeing um, the entire, we'll call it, uh, food service 
community come together across all channels and uh, school nutrition included mm -hmm. to serve and, and help uh, when possible. It's, it's been wonderful. I'll, I'll give a shout out to the ACF, American Culinary Federation. I work very closely with them and to see what they've done to serve communities is, and partnerships has been great as well. So it's, it's really cool to see, um, you know, the good in the world, right? It's easy to turn on the news and see all the scary, but it's, it's good to mm -hmm. see the good. Um, Dr. Dotson, shifting gears a little. So the end of the school year is obviously here, and, you know, I, it, it just blows my mind to, to say that. But many, uh, you, you kind of touched on it with the extension of the waivers and kind of extending into, um, you know, mm -hmm. Lebert exists um, as it relates to the seamless summer option. So um, as it relates to kind of some best practices that you see that model and, and that extending the next school year, are there, is there any sort of um, or uh, recommendations you can make for folks who are kind of maneuvering this on the fly, if you will? Sure. Um, we've seen a lot of adaptation. I think that's the been also the interesting thing. I think initially um, when this crisis started, you know, no one knew that it would last to this extent and we would end the school year this way. So, you know, Again, they made some shifts, and it's been interesting to watch where some of our districts started out with a grab-and-go model and then went to a delivery model. Some started with a delivery model, transitioned to grab-and-go. Some are even making additional shifts as we look at the summer, um, the summer service. So as some of it, you know, has really been, I think, related to the support that our local programs have had, both within their districts and also within their communities. There have been, again, some unique partnerships, the Dairy Alliance. I've enjoyed watching um, the awards of those grants and the excitement from our local directors to receive the resources that they need. And then we've also seen like partners like the Food Bank and stuff coming alongside of our programs to help provide additional um, food boxes and things that are for the whole family. Because, of course, our program is for children 18 and under, um, so there's obviously needs within those families. So I think what I, I've enjoyed seeing, too, is is kind of school nutrition in a lot of these communities being kind of the hub, if you will, um, for the opportunity of supporting the challenges that families are facing in their communities. So, um, you know, walking through this, I, again, I think a lot of it depends on um, what resources are available. And so you know, our leadership at the local level is so strategic in saying, I've got X, Y, and Z, how am I going to make this work? And then, you know, again, like I said, we've had sheriff's departments that have accompanied buses on deliveries. Um, we've had teachers come and help pass out meals, um, administrators that have been part of it. I saw one district in South Georgia where the principal has been driving a bus, you know, to make deliveries. I think that probably has, has been... Um, extremely exciting and rewarding to see, and especially for our local systems to have that awareness among that whole educational team about how challenging it really is sometimes to provide meals. Um, I think sometimes our folks make it look easy, <laughs> you know, because they are adaptable and resilient. And so a lot of times I think people don't understand unless you've been behind the serving line, so to speak to see what's really going on back there, 
um, what is actually involved. Again, I think we relate to our experience at home in cooking. Very, very different than what it is when you're providing the volume of meals that are provided, particularly in a school nutrition program um, in a school setting. You mentioned it earlier. The number of meals that are served in a very short period of time really is very unique to the food service industry in general. So um, in this particular model, obviously the packing and um, whether it's been a pickup model or a delivery, you know, the packaging of meals has really become a major part of the, the program and the operational piece of that. Um, I saw some things last night. I kind of peruse social media to kind of keep an awareness of what's happening in Georgia and also nationally. I, I did have a director's briefing call yesterday afternoon with all the state directors. So I do those strategically, but also just even on a daily basis, if possible, I try to kind of see what what the general um, topics of conversations kind of on social media are around our program. And um, I saw a lot of posts last night where people, directors in Georgia and nationally actually were looking for packaging options for meals, knowing that this is going to continue and probably be a model for our, you know, school year as well. So again, trying to kind of think outside of the box, uh, it's very different than what we typically do for our traditional school service. So um, I saw some really creative things shared, actually. Um, so we'll continue. We've, we've been trying to do that even from the state agency as we're aware of challenges sourcing things. My procurement staff has helped um, find sources for PPE equipment and packaging and those sorts of things. So um, again, everybody, I think it's kind of all hands on deck right yeah. now in school nutrition um, with our partners and um you know, the local districts. So it, it's going to be, I think it'll be very exciting in the end to see and kind of look back through this whole process. Um, when you said that about data, Will, I can, I can definitely relate. I'm enough of a data nerd, I guess, to be interested in that as well. And so we're collecting a lot of data related to our waivers, you know, first of all, for USDA, but also as an interest point to kind of see what this looks like and we're able to track um, and we're building all that out, kind of what the shifts have been and the effectiveness of some of the changes in their delivery models, um, the impact. I, I'll share a story with you that happened in South Georgia fairly early. Uh, district had, it was a small district, and they had a pickup model. And so they were feeding about 175 meals a day. Like I said, small rural South Georgia. And so the director, again, you know, wanting to have a bigger impact got permission, got transportation support, and they basically started taking school buses out, um, running routes to get to these children in these remote areas. And literally was, you know, they were going down uh, dirt roads. And of course, the areas where there's not good, you know, internet and that sort of thing. So the communication about the opportunities weren't there. First day, they saw a shift from 175 meals to 700 being delivered. But the really unique piece of this that occurred that, you know, kind of reminded me about why we do what we do and how important it is that we stay the course is a story where the children saw the bus coming down their dirt road. And the director was happened to be riding the bus and said she was going into areas of the county she didn't even know existed. But this bus driver knew where these families were, of course, because they pick up these children. And so um, he had asked the director, you know, it was a little bit off route. Can we 
go into some of these areas? And she was like, of course. And so one family, the father um, had been diagnosed with cancer, lost his job before COVID-19. Um, family was significantly challenged. The children saw the school bus go by, ran out to see what was going on. And the mother, you know, just had tears in her eyes knowing that her children were getting meals. And then they went down another road where the children were living with their grandparents. And um, when they got ready to leave, the grandmother shared with the bus driver that it was huge. You know, when they saw the bus go by and the children got excited and went out, um, she shared with the bus driver they hadn't had food in three to four days. So, you know, there's some real challenges out there. Um, even the supply chain in the grocery store is not a secure piece. So our, our program is definitely um, working hard to meet those needs. However, you know, it's best able to in, in their local communities. That is, that's an incredible story and incredible to hear. And again, I think we're going to be able to look back on this time and see some really cool innovation that happened that will, that will likely be long lasting in the industry. But I think there's going to be so mm-hmm. many mm-hmm. Uh, stories that, that, that folks are going to be able to have to share regarding um, real impact that was made in the community and in, in people's lives. Will, sure. so, so pun fully intended here. <laughs> um, I like to look <laughs> at the glass of milk half full and usually with cookies next to it. Oh, me too. Um, there has been plenty of attention put on all the challenges and frustrations, obviously, that have come from this season and, and the war that uh, our society has waged against COVID-19. But again, from your perspective, what do you see as the silver lining that's going to come from all this? Well, uh, Lynette kind of hinted at it or, or mentioned it earlier um, about appreciation uh, for school nutrition professionals. I think that that's something that... Um, hopefully will come stronger out of this. You know, we, we talk a lot about essential workers and uh, there's been a lot of appreciation for that, which is awesome, you know, for healthcare workers and um, delivery drivers, um, but especially uh, teachers in school nutrition. Yeah. Um, the positives will come out of this, but I'm really hoping that there will be additional appreciation, um, you know, because they do do such an important and vital task in their communities, um, they're adaptable, they're flexible, and they, they get the job done, which is just so important when we're talking about feeding kids and keeping the kids fed. Um, so, I don't know, maybe we'll see some raises later. I'm sure, I'm sure everybody would appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, well, well, the, we'll uh, see. Um, I know we, we did a video for uh, National School Lunch Hero they, um, I guess that's going back what a week and a half or so. And I know yeah. the highlight that, that came for us with it is just the heroes that are just kind of unsung and walking amongst us are, are finally able to get uh, the recognition that they've, they've long since deserved. So I, I couldn't agree with you more there, Will. Um, Dr. Dotson, final question. Uh, we've taken plenty of, of both of your time at this point, but um, I'm not sure anybody's more qualified than yourself to answer this question. You served as a school nutrition director for, for over 18 years before stepping into your role at uh, the Georgia Department. And you faced many challenges that have that our, our directors are currently faced. You've been privy to conversations and discussions um, facing directors nationwide. So with all of that said, if you are a director in any one of these school nutrition programs, 
be doing to prepare for the upcoming school year? Where would you be focusing your attention? Wow, what a question. I've thought about that so many times through this whole situation. And I, I think coming to the state agency, I try to always maintain that perspective about how that local impact really is. Um, I feel like that's a very important part of my job to be sensitive to the challenges that our local directors are facing and, and the best ways that we can to really support them. Um, I think probably continuing to be strategic with those collaborative partnerships, both within their actual educational um, setting, as well as with, you know, community partners. We definitely have had to think outside of the box. So we've seen people step up, you know, in various ways. And so I think, and I, I guess this came to light yesterday, even in our director's briefing, through all of this, I think the communication piece has been the most critical. We've, we've definitely tried to support that from the state agency. Um, early on, I had some weekly call-in webinars just kind of to say, hey, where are you at? What do you need? Um, where can we help you? What does this mean? Um, so as I look through kind of where we've been and where we're going, I think um, communication is probably going to be the most critical part of it as local directors continue to communicate with their administration about what those next steps are. Um, we know the governor's putting together a task force around the start of school um, dynamics and, and what that looks like And school meals are a part of that, I'm excited to say. Um, and looking through, again, how we continue to integrate school meals as part of the educational process, it's gonna take all of us coordinating and communicating about what is possible, um, how we can can achieve the results that we need to to provide for these children. Um, and, and we're just going to have to really keep having those critical conversations to make people aware, first and foremost, how important school meals are for all children. Um, and second of all, how significantly they are important during such a challenging time when you look at emotional and physical, um, potentially, you know, instable, instable or instability type issues. You think about mental health has been talked a lot about um, during this dynamic. And then just the health risks that exist. So knowing good nutrition is vital, right, to making sure that our children, especially, but obviously our whole population is um, able to manage the challenges that are ahead. So that just, to me, really places us, I think, in the forefront moving ahead. So hopefully we'll continue to be part of those critical conversations. That's my goal um, to keep us there and um, just make sure that we can walk through it together uh, with with all of the parties involved in the ed educational process so that we can be successful well, for our Georgia that, children. I think that's an exceptionally great point, especially as it relates to communication. I think communication across all channels uh, during this difficult time, communication with, you know, your colleagues and your peers, you know, from program to program, I think, um, I think are critical to, to mm -hmm. get those best practices shared. And, and again, as we all share the same goal to making sure our children and the communities are, are fed. So, I mean, with, with that, I'd like to sincerely thank both of you for, for your dedication to feeding the children of Georgia uh, your desire to come on this podcast and to provide support and guidance 
school nutrition professionals across the state. Obviously, while it's disheartening, um, kind of this podcast that we're doing a podcast around so much unknown and, and just downright scary topics, um, it's mm-hmm. heartwarming to see just how many people care and truly have a passion for this industry. They're the, the industry, the community, kids with with all the fear and anxiety around us. There's hope, and we see it every day embodied in our school nutrition professionals and the heroes who. We show up each day to ensure our kids and their families will have food on the table. Um, so we're, again, I want to thank you guys both for joining us. I also want to give a quick reminder uh, to everyone listening. Um, we made a special announcement on last month's podcast that uh, was support of some of our incredible uh, manufacturers, Metro, Frankie, Continental, Advanced Tabco, Valley, Champion, Angelo Poe, Isomatic, Aeronox, and Solting. We are going to be awarding 10 school nutrition professionals, um, uh, free groceries. So we are, yeah, we're excited to be doing nice. that. We're asking that you continue to send in submissions. Um, you can send those to me, cfurger at cgareps.com. You can, you can send them on our Facebook page again at cgareps, Instagram, um, send them in. We want to highlight as many people as possible and we want to, we want to share those stories. So if you think there's someone who should be acknowledged, and highlighted for their hero, uh, heroism and, and their efforts, please please do that. Uh, we want to help in, in supporting, um, shining the light where the lights do. So that being said, I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Dotson, Will, for, for joining us. Um, stay safe, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we value um, industry partners and um you know, association partners like the Dairy Alliance. Uh, we couldn't do it without y'all. So thank, thank you for the opportunity to share and thank you for your continued support of our local programs. It's truly appreciated. Well, I know course, on we, so many uh, levels. For everybody, we'll say, you know, we, we feel very privileged to, to be able to support and partner and, and again, be just a, a, a very small part in the effort that y'all put forth. So um, that being said, stay safe and look forward to seeing everybody back to, even if it's a new normal, normal soon. Take care.